You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. you just jump right in with it kind of oh if you want to back up and give a quick survey of of the, the project like why you even took this on to begin with sure yeah so i think you know just in my own prayer time and just thinking about it it's been i mean the 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 breakthroughs that i've had just in my personal life throughout this time have been crazy you know just as i've been going through this and just kind of praying about it since the murder of george floyd like just kind of thinking about okay lord like race and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm just talking to people, you know, I'm just like gathering, kind of gathering my own little data, just like having conversations with people, people asking me my opinions on things. And so I'm just like praying about it, thinking about it. And then I felt like I was moved to, to write something down. And then I kind of came up with this idea in prayer. You know, I think the Holy Spirit led me to this idea of writing three letters, three open letters, one to my white friends and family, one to black friends and family, one to, to Christians. And so the, the first two parts were, were about those things. And, um, yeah, we're just kind of like opening the conversation. And this was the one I really wanted to get to was just talking to Christians and, and the leaders in the community or what we're called to be leaders in the community, the people who are called to be leaders and just kind of acknowledging like, okay, what do we need to do? What are we not doing? What can we do? You know, and how can we improve the world around us during this? Yeah, just tumultuous, difficult time between a pandemic, rioting, all this craziness that we have going on right now. We're supposed to be the ones that in the midst of that are formed and can help other people to guide through that situation, you know, because I think we just have an exceptional burden. I was just thinking about it this morning, like if you had, you know, 10 people in the room and one of them had access to the sacraments, like the body of Christ, the sacrament of confession, like the grace of our Lord, that he, you know, the Holy Spirit, like who should be the one that's leading? Who should be the one that's speaking up? Who should be the one that's trying to make sense of the situations. It should be the possessor of the truth, right? You know, uh, one of my, I only brought a few things out here to read with me, but uh, my, I brought my Plato reader to read some Socrates while I'm out here just to get a little bit deeper and think about, you know, just be very logical and rational. And I love Socrates. And and that's one of his big things. You know, he's, he's like, whose opinion should we value? Who should be leading us? It should be the seeker of truth, the one who's formed, the one who has goodwill, knowledge, and the bluntness to, to kind of navigate life's kind of difficult 
those situations. And so that's what the third one's really about is just kind of calling that out and just reaching out to Christians and challenging them to say, Hey, like you're not the one that's supposed to be silent at all right now or ever, you know, like you're never supposed to be silent. You should be, doesn't mean that you need to be the ones leading the rioting or the picketing or even protesting or even necessarily like taking this topic specifically head on, but we need to always be discerning. What is it that God's calling me to do to make the world a better place right now? You know? And, and I think especially in the West where maybe it's been hit over the head with us to be nice, to not offend, to, you know, that goes against Christ who flipped tables and he called, you know, the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, like, and Paul ruffled feathers up and down the the Mediterranean um, and loses his life for it. And so there's a boldness to the early Christians in the early church and um, to be not of the world to change the world. It's not just to peace out on the world. The world is screwed up. See you later. Um, We may need to retract the whole Benedict option for a little bit, but it's always to go back out and change the world. And I think especially the more comfortable and materially comfortable, comfortable we've gotten. There's a sense too of like, Oh, I didn't sign up for these struggles. I didn't sign up for, for whatever the, the dilemma is of the day. I just want to be left alone. And, and Christianity is not meant to be lived in this comfortable, clean, materialistic bubble. You know, Christianity is a messy religion that goes out to the, the poor and those in need. Definitely. You know, Father Mike Schmidt said one of my favorite things during this time. He said that sometimes we need a little bit less Lamb of God and we need a little bit more Lion of Judah, you know, and I think that that's where we're at right now, you know, and just to be willing to get into the messiness. And and so many, I saw so many different, you know, Christians or leaders or just people that I know that I feel like they were so afraid or so anti being manipulated or forced or controlled by the world and being forced to, you know, post the blackout Tuesday box or post, you know, black lives matter. And they're conflicted because they're like, I don't agree with the organization, but I understand the philosophy of like, you know, people's lives being important, you know, and every life having every human life having dignity that they got into this like bubble and they like just shrunk up into their turtle shell and were like, nobody's touching me. I'm not doing anything. And they actually like disconnected and pushed God away from having that influence to be able to tell them like, Hey, but I'm calling you to do something right now. I'm calling you to reach out to a friend of yours, you know, a person that you know, or speak on, on a certain topic that can influence the, the people that like in your sphere of influence, you know? And we have to be willing, like you said, to have that boldness. You know, Matt Walsh uh, just came out with his book about six months ago, I think it was now, Church of Cowards. And he, he hits on this stuff a lot of just like how unbelievable, it, it blows my mind sometimes how unbelievably soft we've become as Christians. Like right. people, yeah, when you think about the fact that people used to literally die, you know, like all we have to do pretty much nowadays is, is die to self. You know, like I think, isn't it in Hebrews 12 where uh, the author talks about like none of us have given, um, we haven't had, or maybe St. Paul talks about, I, don't, I can't remember. I'm, I'm weak on my, my scripture right now, but he talks, somebody in the scripture talks about we haven't for, been forced to, to give our lives or suffer to the point of shedding our blood. You know, like we've had it pretty easy and that's how we have, like we just have to die to self. We don't have to worry about being put to death or being stoned or, you know, any of that. And it's like, what, what do we have to do sometimes? Like, I don't know, like piss somebody off for, for calling them out or be, you know, be a little blunt, hold people accountable to um, change ourselves and be humble and evaluate ourselves and see how we are contributing to hatred and injustice and, you know, inequality in the world. 
Like, is that really that hard compared to, and it's crazy because we, we have like, I wear my medals, you know, of, of St. Francis of Assisi. I've got um, uh, the Miraculous Medal and I wear JP2. And it's like, JP2 got shot. You know, like, how do we, we keep these heroes so close to us who did lay down their lives, who did risk their lives, who did, you know, go through these incredible battles. And then we turn, we like go away from like praying to them and like with our statues and, you know, posting about them on our stories on their feast day. And then we turn around and it's like, oh, like, I don't want to have this uncomfortable conversation. Like, I don't understand how we go from like praising these heroes to just like turning and being cowardly, you know, like we have to emulate those heroes in the same way that I used to watch, you know, when, I mean, I still, I still watch basketball and stuff but when I was growing up and really learning and growing as a basketball player like I would watch LeBron highlights I was watching Kobe highlights I was watching you know Derrick Rose highlights back then and I would turn and leave and go and try to emulate those highlights either in a basketball game or in practice and that's exactly what we have to do with the Saints is, is to take the the courage and strength and virtue and holiness that we saw in them and then turn around and like we should be eager to go and try to implement it eager to go and try to emulate what they did you know to be those little Christ in the light in the world that is obviously in need of light right now. I think St. Therese of Lisieux wanted to go and be a martyr at age like 10. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you know, that, that boldness too uh, of um, it maybe even like having the conversations with, with family. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not the stranger on the street, but the family that's, maybe there is some racism. Maybe there is some hatred they're harboring to someone else or there's a prejudice and we need the one to be like have the conversation to to bring them out of it especially as a christian you you're writing it you talk about like you lose the right to harbor hate in your heart you know you lose the right as a christian when if you say you're a christian you can't be like i secretly feel this way towards this person like that's something we got to give to the lord right Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, going back a little bit to what you said with, with having the family discussions, that's been one of the things that I've, I've heard and feedback the most that people have most appreciated about these is that they've been great conversation starters and they've yep. been great conversation starters for people with their friends, family. And it's just a good entry point to have something that you can point people to to say, hey, check this out and let's talk about it versus like calling somebody out directly. You know, it makes it a lot easier. So um, really grateful for all the feedback that I've gotten on that as well. But yeah, I think you, you lose the rights, you know, like you lose certain th- certain things it's just the same way that it was in the military you know when you become a leader which is what i i stress in the letters is that all christians are leaders and the reason why i say that is because all christians are called to be evangelists and what is evangelization to me is leadership you are leading people closer to jesus and you're helping them navigate their path and you're helping them to remove obstacles like literally everything that you do in a leadership position is what you do when you're discipling somebody right like you are just developing the human person you're guiding them closer to the goal which is heaven right and so when we can view ourselves as that we can realize that you lose certain uh privileges you lose certain rights you lose like you really forfeit yourself and there's no leadership position where you forfeit yourself more than you do when you give yourself over to god and so in doing that yeah you lose the right to harbor hate and 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 not forgive people that's on both sides you know people who are wrong people who are mad about rioting and looting like you're called to love those people like even if you're upset with it like you're called to love them and you're called to love the people who are defending those things you know, and like, that's the hard part. We, we kind of going back to us kind of getting soft. We lose that. Uh, we, we forget, you know, in Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about 
oh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We like, we've really lost sight of that. We really love to pray for our friends and our family. We pray for, you know, the people who are, um, you know, even, even sometimes we pray for injustice. Like we pray a lot for uh, an end to abortion, which is great and necessary. But how often do we pray for the abortionists? How often do we pray for the people who are running Planned Parenthood, the people who are actually going against, you know what I mean? Like leading the charge against the church. Like we don't pray for, we're not taking on, not Jesus's recommendation, not his suggestion, but his commandment to us to pray for other people that, that are harming us or doing us wrong or that see things in a way that it's, we recognize is actively destroying other people's lives or destroying their own lives. We're still called to, to release the, the malice or the anger or the, the bitterness that we hold towards them and really pray for them and be willing to have conversations with them and, and kind of bridge that gap between the world and the church and and Jesus himself, you know, because otherwise we're just retreating back into our little tribes and territories. Right. And the whole point of evangelization is to break those things down. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Um, it, Paul writes that, again, these divisions may be breached and healed. And you're right. You say too, like our identity as, as Catholics, as Christians is primary. Yes. And that's tough because, again, we're being told again and again today, like, your your attributes are the most important thing about you. <laughs> and reclaiming that, because we can fall into that, too, and then it becomes this us versus them mentality. But it's like, no, we've got to be the, the avenue of healing to bring others in and to have the uncomfortable conversations uh, to speak truth when it needs to be spoken, but always in love and always with a heart that is willing and wants to suffer with another person. And that's misericordia is mercy is literally a core again, heart, like is a heart that suffers with another person. So I can be quick to judge anyone who's protesting, rioting, anyone who's being silent out of fear, anyone who's just riding the wave of anarchy. Right. But I need to suffer and mourn what's going on underneath that. Why haven't they felt like they've been heard? Where are maybe they misguided? But to listen and to mourn. And then, you know, and then we can get to some conversation of healing, you know? Right. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you hit on there with the identity part, that was like such a strategic and intentional move for me in part three was just kind of like addressing, cause there's so much, there's so much segregation kind of happening right now, you know, yeah. like in all the camps of making it not just black and white, but black versus white. And we can easily start to see ourselves as that. And especially Catholics kind of fall into this, this dangerous spot with that because the Catholic church in a lot of places looks very white, you know? So then it kind of comes like the, the like, we, we view it exactly like there's like this BLM against the church and, you know, like all this stuff that kind of gets to this dangerous spot where it's like, okay, that's what the world and the media is trying to push against you is just trying to divide and separate. But let's take a moment and remember that, like, even before we're Americans, you know, and like I love America, like huge, huge America guy right here. Love America. But even before we're Americans, we are the church. Yep. You know, like you and I have a commitment to one another that's deeper than than our that's deeper than everything. You know, like there's no greater connection than that. Um, and we understand that church and we understand that we are the body of Christ here on earth. And we can approach things from that spot. We can say, OK, we need to be unified. And going back to my man, Socrates, what does he do first is he, he talks about what do we agree on 
first. Instead, like the world wants us to jump to what do you disagree on and how can we separate, how can we divide people? But like when we, like Christians are called to be patient, to be um, prudent in the way that we approach things, to have, you know, mild tempers, to like have our, our brains under control and our emotions because we can, we can literally cast and we're called to not, we, not only can we, but we're called to cast our anxieties upon the Lord. And when he bears that cross with us, then we're capable of saying, okay, let me take a, take a moment and be patient and approach this person with love and mercy and say, what do we agree on first? We don't have to focus on the stuff we disagree on. We don't have to shift, you know, immediately to arguing about this or that and, and the things that are going on and whether it's right or wrong. Let's first talk about what we agree on. Let's pray together first. Let's talk about, you know, how can we grow as, as individuals? What can I learn in this time? How can I change? And then, you know, start to really unify with other people. And that's what I tried to do, even with just the title and even not even wanting to say it to uh, my dear fellow Catholics, but wanting to make it Christians in general to unify as much of the country and as many people as possible in this time of, you know, just discord and separation and kind of, you know, separating everything out. Because one thing that Catholics are really, um, we kind of lost sight of, I think. And one thing that I feel really passionate about in my, in my small voice that I have within the Catholic church is like reminding people, I feel like I am trying to be uh, St. Paul-esque in that, like, I am very passionate about reaching the Gentiles. You know, like, in the Catholic Church, we often, we've kind of turned, because we've gotten so bad at catechizing people that are Catholic and, and evangelizing to Catholics, we don't even consider, like, a lot of times we don't even remember that we're called to make disciples of all nations. You know, like, that's what we're actually called to. And, and now, like, my work with parishes, you really start to understand that, hey, like, you guys are not just responsible for the, the people who come to Mass on Sunday. Like, a parish a Catholic parish is responsible for all the souls that exist in that parish boundary. And so then that means that not just the priest, not just the parish staff is responsible, but we as parishioners, we as Catholics in America are responsible for all the souls in the country. We're not just responsible for those who we agree with. We're not just responsible to those who go to daily mass. We're not just responsible to those who are doing the daily rosary. You know what I mean? Like those who know how to pray morning prayer, like we are responsible for all the souls. And when you can just like take this paradigm shift and adopt it in your mind and say, okay, wow, like what am I, like what's the situation? You know, what am I called to do here? What is my mission? And then how can I go by executing it. That's like, I mean, that's army, like the operations order in, in order is the situation, your mission statement, and then the execution of what are we going to do from here? Yeah. So I remember in the seminary, them saying that, like, you know, as potential pastors one day, you are in charge of, again, you and your parish are in charge of the whole territory around that parish, not just the Catholics coming in the door. And as an introvert, I started sweating like, Oh no, I can't. But like, but that's the mission. It's not like, hey, you get, you know, Christ is like, you get to sit in your room, uh, you get to go out to Japan, you get to go. It's like, no, no, like, and, and at the very end of your letter, and we'll jump, you know, back and forth here, talking about Mother Teresa's um, um, assertion to find your own Calcutta. You look at her example and we think, wow, we got to go extreme uh, to the ends of the earth to be a true Christian. But there's plenty of people suffering all around you. And that suffering isn't just material. It can be emotional. It can be loneliness. It can be a spiritual lack of hope, lack of meaning. Suicides are on the rise. They've been on the rise for our generation and prior, and COVID hasn't helped at all. That lack of hope, like there's plenty to do in our five-mile radius. Um, And we should be leading the charge and... uh, 
be willing to serve, uh, again, like you're, again, your military examples are perfect in that, like Christ is the general, he's given us marching orders. We don't just get to like, Oh, I'm just going to go hang out in the barracks and bemoan the world here. Right. No, absolutely. And I think one of my, like the, the gospel or the, yeah, the gospel quote that I have there at the bottom, I think is hugely important as well. You know, that Jesus in, in Matthew nine talks about, uh, this is one of my, I mean, I remember this hit me so hard one day in prayer when I was in college and Jesus says that it says that Jesus, when he went out and saw the crowds, he had compassion for them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd's. And he turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is plenty full, but the laborers are few. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into the harvest. You know, and that's what Mother Teresa did. And she went out and she went to the place that she was called. You know, she had the openness to wherever the Lord wanted to call her, she was willing to go. And that's what we're called to do right now is we're called to, you know, find wherever we are. It, you know, likely if we're, if we've been following God's will for our lives, we've been praying, you know, like seeking to do what he's calling us to do. We are likely in the midst of our Calcutta, you know, and so we have to find who are the people that are suffering, that are destitute, that are struggling around us. And I'm reading Father Michael Gately's book on the works of mercy right now, just because there are those corporal and spiritual works of mercy and they tie in together so well. Well, you know, he really does a great job of breaking that down and how they're how they're related. Um, but yeah, we're called to do that. And I think that so oftentimes Mother Teresa hit this the, the virtue in the mean on uh, one thing that I talked about right before that, which is that we oftentimes have in the, in the church, we have people who live in, in one of two extremes. And these extremes are both pretty bad. And the extremes are on one side, you have people who are super, you know, go to go to daily mass they pray the rosary every day they're super into their faith right they're very knowledgeable of it but they stay so so stuck in that catholic bubble that they you know they never get outside of it they're never really reaching people who um, are kind of, they're not really willing a lot of times to have these more difficult conversations. They're not, you know, trying to minister to the people that they might be crossing paths with every single day. It's more, you know, kind of staying in their bubble. And some people are called to that. Some people are called to the monastic life. Some people are called to be separated from the world and just pray for the world. But there's, there's some people in that group. And these are the people I want to call out and make uncomfortable that need to step outside of that bubble. There's people that are being called outside of that bubble. They need to step outside of that bubble. And then on the other extreme, you have people who are super in the world. Right there, I know a lot of these people as well. My mom is a is a social worker. She's worked for, with probation and um, just a lot of different mental health uh, social work throughout her life. And she's got a lot of people who do some very very difficult, very challenging, hard work in serving people who are very hard to serve. Right. And yep. loving people who are very hard to love. And they do that. But a lot of times they disconnect because they're so into, focused on being the hands and feet of, of Jesus in this world. They can disconnect from the actual the church and the sacraments and prayer and all these things. So they kind of get separated. What Mother Teresa did that was so baller is that she started every day with a holy hour and yep. then went out was the hands and feet of Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to have that combination of the two to be willing to just, like I said, like I said, not everybody's going to be called to go to Calcutta. Not everybody's going to be called to be super, super in the world and do these difficult jobs, but we're all called to at some point, you know, to a certain extent, do both of those things to have the holiness, to have that strong relationship with God, strong relationship with the church and the sacraments and to be willing at least, you know, at a moment's notice to go out and serve the poorest of the poor. And that could be, you know, like you said, that could take a number of different forms, but we have to have this openness to where we're called, we're willing to go out and do whatever it takes and be willing to, you know, really lay ourselves down so that um, we can, we can be, yeah, just what the world needs us to be, what God's calling us to be. 
Because once you cut off the work of ministry and and justice and serving the poor, once you cut that out off from the sacraments, once you cut it off from the word, you know, the church, because I don't agree with X, Y, Z, then it just becomes social work. And you've yep. cut yourself off from the source of grace. That is, that's the only thing that's going to be transformative. You know, so it's not just putting a Band-Aid. If you're if to bring real healing to other people and yourself, you have to be open to that avenue of grace. And likewise, we can just sit in that pool of grace and never overflow it to other people too. You know, I am much more of a, a monk in that regard. I would love to just sit and pray and read all day, if not for my crazy mutant children that, you know, force me to get out of myself. Yeah. And the blessed, the blessing too of like, you know, uh, you know, I work in education, I work at a Catholic school. So there's also like, I constantly have to talk to other people. <laughs> like I constantly have to bring the faith to people that are to young students that are either gung ho, um, just listening for a grade or could care less. So it's like, okay, how do I do this? But even then it's easy to say like, okay, I'm, I'm in my, I'm still in a Catholic bubble. I'm in a Catholic school. And how many of my neighbors have I ever had a conversation with about the gospel, let alone a conversation with? Right. No. <laughs> yeah, at all. It's just a weird world we're in right now. And, and, you know, one of your points in your writing too, you talk about Simon of Cyrene and um, I was always Simon in like the passion plays, you know, always, really? always a Simon, never, never a Christ. Um, and, but I really grew to like this character. Again, this guy, this guy that was kind of me just like going about his own business, wants to be left alone. And then all of a sudden he's got to get in the game. Right. And the passion of the Christ, the film does it so well. He's, he's walking presumably with his daughter and he gets called out by the Roman guard and he has to carry this cross with this criminal. He's very clear. Like I, this man's sins are not mine. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, I don't want to do this, you know, but by the end of it, you see his heart moving towards this, this man, like something else is going on here. Right. And he, he's forever changed to the fact that his name is recorded in scripture. You know, it right. could have just, they could have just said, and some dude helped him out along the way but they get, they honor him. And so again, it, it's left up in the air. What happens to him after this account? Yeah. Does he, does he become a disciple? Does he go all in? We don't know. So it's kind of a cool, like left to us to really put our shoes in, in the, put ourselves in the shoes of Simon, who again, maybe a Christian by birth and baptism, maybe a Christian by later in life. But again, a challenge of where have I got, where have I grown too comfortable? Where have I grown too cowardly? Because there is a line between prudence and cowardice, cowardice, I believe. Like it's prudent to not post everything you think online <laughs> or to, to have some conversations in the workplace or with family. But then there, there's a line of you're crossing into cowardice by never speaking out, by never in charity, bringing the gospel, bringing the truth and pushing back. Right. Yeah. And it takes a, it takes a certain intentionality, you know, to, to seek that out sometimes because it's not always right in your face. It's not always, you know, sometimes these opportunities to serve or to unite ourselves with the cross of other people aren't blatant, you know, or, or super obvious, especially when we talk about like reaching, reaching out to like the, the modern day Gentiles or people outside the church, you know, like I know for me, one of the things that I was really passionate about when I moved to Cincinnati coming from four years after doing the army where I was constantly surrounded by people who were, you know, 
never been exposed to the gospel or very far from the Lord, you know, to now I'm like, okay, now I'm working in the church. I'm like, all my friends are from my young adult group at the parish. I'm just like, wait a minute. Like God didn't create Nathan Crankfield to only minister. Like I love working with people who are, you know, into their faith and growing and all that stuff and helping them. But I, I know that I wasn't made just to only serve those people. You know, like I like, I know that like God has given me a lot of different tools and, and relatability and stuff that I'm called to be friends with people who are completely distant as well. And so I'm like, how am I going to make those friends? So I started playing basketball at the gym and started to meet people that way. And, uh, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta meet some people that are not, you know, on fire Catholics. Like I can't just have all on fire Catholic friends. And there's something beautiful that you start to see again, going back to that Matthew nine and then kind of tying it in with St. Simon of Cyrene, like, like, like Jesus went out and he saw the crowds and like, I love reading that gospel and then like going out into the world and you can literally see when you every, like if you read that gospel and then you go out into the world, you can see the suffering of other people and you can see all these people who are just burdened and weighed down by their crosses, you know, and we are called to be that Simon. We're called to be that Simon for so many people. And like Simon, we can be sanctified through that experience. Like that'll bring us closer to Jesus the same way it did for him. And it transformed his heart and his mind, you know, and he just like, there's no way you encounter Christ in his passion, you know, and like this, something doesn't happen to you, right? Like that you don't get moved and like, it doesn't change you as a man. So like he was, he was able to be transformed through that experience and be united to Christ in his suffering. And that's exactly what we're called to do. And we're called to be that for other people. And father Mike, again, had this great quote in his, uh, his conversation with father Josh Johnson, where he said that, you know, the opposite of compassion is not taking something personally because it doesn't personally affect you. And that's what I think a lot of people are kind of going through right now is they're having this experience of like, well, that doesn't affect me. Or one of my main arguments that I've had with a lot of people growing up, especially a lot of times in college, a lot of, you know, my white friends who came from, from good families and good backgrounds and all this stuff. And they just say, oh, just assuming that racism doesn't exist and these problems don't exist. And these things that are made to help people like minorities on this stuff like are pointless and stupid and don't make any sense without just taking the time to say, okay, like you don't get it yet. Like, and let me explain to you what it's like growing up in the inner city. And it doesn't even have to be just for black people, right? Because we a lot of times approach these conversations. Uh, you know, like I know a lot of black conservatives stress the fact that like not all black people are poor, right? And like poverty in and of itself is a, is a cross and is a burden. And people, whether you're trying to understand white people or black people who are struggling in poverty, if you've never been in that, if you've never experienced that, if you've never been exposed to that, you really don't understand how despairing, how difficult how challenging it is to emerge yourself from the poverty you know like it, it's just a, it's a completely different life experience and one thing we're really bad about is yeah just kind of turning on these blinders to the suffering that's going on in our communities in the church like in the parish that you belong to there's probably somebody who's suffering and struggling with something really difficult and we, we are so quick to just kind of turn up these blinders and assume that we know better and assume that everybody had the opportunities that we had everybody can make the same decisions that we had everybody's been formed in the faith the same that we have and we just make all these jumps and assumptions and conclusions about other people instead of taking the, the time to have those messy and difficult conversations and being willing to just first, you know, lay our guard down, lay down our agenda and just love people in the moment and just unite ourselves with them and their suffering and say, how can I help you? How can I alleviate some of this for you, you know, as your brother, as your sister um, in Christ? And it's really sad, you know, how we neglect to do that. My hope was that we would cure racism by the end of this video series. <laughs> And I don't know if we're going to get there, but I remember like, again, I'll, 
I was born in I was born in '84, so I'm child of the late '80s and and early '90s, and it was a magical time um, of music and really uh, rough technology and cartridges, and we had to be kind and rewind blockbuster videos. But I remember, like again, there was a stress on um, like not seeing race. Anyway, I feel like we had the message of not seeing race. Like our way was like, I see the human, I see the person. I'm not going to focus on their skin tone. And now it's kind of at a different, I just, I just want you to speak into this. Cause I, this is something I've had to kind of realize, like, I think there is a, of my era, there is this, like, we weren't supposed to focus on race, but now I am. And as a Christian, I recognize my identity is, a, is as a child, a son or daughter of God. However, the point is not to be colorblind and not see your your culture and your heritage. It's not your your what makes you you. You know what I mean? But like, or like the most important thing about you. Um, but if you could just kind of like again, as a Christian, how do we go about this this shift right now? And what's I guess what's been ignored? What's been where can we do better? Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, what do we do, Nathan? What do we do? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. You know, one of the the big challenges in that I think is that we, the, the world to a certain extent is always trying to get us again, divided into these different identities, right? They're trying to push this identity more and more upon you. And even in myself, I can see myself at times when, when some of this stuff and racism and stuff flares up, I can overemphasize my identity as a black man and underemphasize my identity as a Catholic and underemphasize, underemphasize my identity as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And that is like, like you said, as a son of God, like that is first and foremost, everybody's primary identity. And like, we should never in the age of guilt tripping and being uh, you know politically correct, we can never lose sight of that even though people are stressing like, Oh, don't be this or don't be that. And like focus on all these different things. And like, uh, you know, forcing upon people with same sex attraction that like, that is who you are. Like let the world know that that is who you are first and foremost. And it's like, no, we need to, we, we always have to be sober minded in the midst of all this emotion. And remember that first and foremost, people have human dignity because they are a son or daughter of, you know, of the most high. And like, that is, that is where their identity first and foremost comes from. Now with that, I think what's really important is, is to is to understand like the the lack of of having complete and utter colorblindness. What I see is kind of somewhat of a downfall in that is that I think we can we can we just really fail to understand people and where they come from and what their kind of challenges are and, and the difficulties that they're facing. Especially again, like in this letter, I want to focus on our view as evangelists. Like how it can be important for me to know if I'm trying to lead somebody closer to God that they're. Um, you know, divorced or that they have same sex attraction or that they come from, uh, you know, uh, an immigrant family, you know, from a, a Hispanic country. Like it can be helpful to know those things for the sake of leading them closer to God, you know? And, and for that reason, I think it is important to know, and it is important to see like certain people have struggled and are going to have, you know, by and large, similar but different objections to the church or to their relationship with God because of that. And they're also, and then I think the next level of that is as Americans, we have to be aware of other people's cultures and things like that because they're going to have different preferences or different things that are going to offend them or bother them or make them feel uncomfortable. And we have to be aware. It, it is helpful, I think, to a, for, to a certain extent to be aware that like, oh, Nathan's the only black guy in this room of 100 people. Like, I, I just want to make sure not not 
that I need to address that to him, but like make sure that I go say hello, you know, like and, and see if like maybe this young person who might be the only person of their race, like I should say hello to them after mass, you know, like I should make sure that they feel comfortable and feel welcomed. And like, that's the value of it. Don't treat them like every other white person in the room because they're not feeling like every other white person in the room. And so like understanding how somebody's culture or the way they're, even if somebody's like underdressed for an event, you know, like when you can identify something in somebody that makes them feel less comfortable or makes them feel like a, a standout or like, a, like they're being left out, you know, like makes them feel like an outsider and you can bring them in. That That is the value, I think, in, in starting to see that. The other thing that I personally believe is like, we, we've told the story, I think on another video, but I know we talked about it on Instagram together about the, the story where I, I discovered that I was brown, right? Like at age four. Oh, yeah, yeah, please, please share that. Yeah, so age four, I was just writing about this yesterday. It's kind of the starting of my next writing that I'm writing about. But age four, I, I just remember it was after dinner one day and I'm sitting there and for whatever reason, I'm like holding up my shirt, looking at my belly and I'm looking at my dad and looking at my mom. My dad's reading the newspaper at the table. My mom's washing the dishes in the kitchen. And like we live in a small two bedroom townhouse. So like we're, you know, we could we're right with, with each other, you know, like mom's only 10 feet away. And so I'm looking at me, looking at dad, looking at mom doing this. I did like five times. So finally my dad's like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, uh, I said, daddy, why is it that you and me are brown and mommy's white? You know? And I kind of realized it and I have a lot, like everything I'm writing right now, Bobby, is all about like my kind of discovery of race and what that meant for me and how I started to learn more and more about that. And there's some good stuff into that. But to a certain extent, like I, I don't believe that people are colorblind. I believe that people are not racist, but I don't think that anybody doesn't notice. I think that like, cause this is where I think the real test, if you're truly colorblind, like you talked about in the last one, like go into a room where you're the only person of that color and tell me that you're colorblind. Tell me you don't notice that you're the only person of your own color in that room. You know, go into it. Like if you're, if you're black and you feel like you're colorblind, go into a room of Asians and tell me you don't notice that you're not, you're the only non-Asian person in that room. If you're white and go into a black barbershop and tell me you don't notice that you're the only black person or you're the only white person in that room if you're truly colorblind. Now, I believe that there's people who don't treat people differently based on their color. Absolutely. But this idea that, oh, I'm colorblind, I never see it. It's not true. So it's just, it's just about how, how do we address it when we see it? How do we treat people when we see it? How, that's what we need to be evaluating because nobody's truly colorblind. I say that I was up until that point at age four because I didn't even realize, you know, that we were different colors until finally at age four I did. But since then, I've noticed it every time. Like, I, I've never, you can never go back to, to being colorblind. You know what I mean? Like, once you realize, oh, there's black people and, the, and there's a lot of white kids who are raised in these Catholic homes where their churches mostly Catholic, their parents' friends are mostly Catholic, their families are no, all, all white, their, fa- their church is mostly white, their family's mostly white, their family friends are mostly white, and they get exposed to more and more cultures as they grow up and they go to college and you can't like you just can't convince me that anybody doesn't start to realize you know that, hey there's different colored people and that kind of means something and and that's what I'm writing about next is is what does that mean how do we as children and then young adults start to form this idea of of race and navigate like what are the rules of society within those races and how they evolved over time how do they affect me how do I fit in in this greater context of the world um, and that's what we're always developing we're we're always growing that we're always, you know, that's always, it's an ever evolving thing in our lives of understanding where do we fit in the world? How can we help other people navigate their place in the world? And the first and foremost thing that we're called to do in helping others navigate their place in the world is understand that they are sons and daughters of God. We are sons and daughters of God. We're unified in that and that we should help 
everybody ultimately always strive to get to heaven. You know, and that's, that's always the goal. That's always the point. Dude. Yeah. All that, all that. I have like nothing. I have like an hour more to add and I also have nothing to add. So <laughs> is there any, I think again, just to suffer with another is the thing to recognize where can I be the hands and feet of Christ? Where, who in, who in the room right now is feeling lonely, is feeling, again, isolated? And how can I bridge that gap? You know, right. um, Father Josh Johnson has talked a lot about representation in terms of, of church art when it comes to the saints we represent, to the stained glass windows. And again, if, if I'm a black man walking in and all it is is white saints, you know, that eventually kind of takes a toll on you, you know? So even for us, for us, again, the church is not just the, you know, a certain branch of the world. It is literally Catholic universal, the whole, the whole planet. So it's like to learn about the Korean martyrs or Charles Luanda in Uganda, um, to see the diversity of saints that we have and their stories, um, is so important you know, and to represent that to, to the extent we have, like to read about them and share their stories with other people. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so important. And, you know, it's one of the things that kind of, that kind of breaks my heart within the church is just how segregated we still are, you know, and not, not by any rules. There's not any, you know, thing that's set up, but like, if like in Cincinnati, I know like you have your Spanish churches, you have your black churches and you have the, the churches that are mostly white, you know, and there's, there's not a lot of, you don't go, there's not a lot of parishes across the country. I think that are very, that are a mix of those, of those three, or even like your Asian churches, you know, like you have those, um, you know, big, big group of Catholics in the United States is, is of Asian descent, you know, you have your Filipinos, Vietnamese, Koreans. Um, Jackie and, we, and I went to the uh, Korean Martyrs Church for the Easter Vigil Mass one year because our uh, friend was coming into the church and we were like, we stuck out like sore thumbs. I was, I told Jackie and like, just try to blend in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And just even, even expressing and expanding our, our, you know, exposure to that as Catholics is so important to go to some of those different churches and things like, like I, I love like one of my goals in life is just to rack up as many different languages as I can um, going to mass in these different languages. And I, I got to go to a Vietnamese one in, in Fayetteville once, um, which is awesome. And yeah, I go to Spanish mass every now and then just to mix it up and, and get some of the, the Spanish culture. And yeah, just kind of getting, getting exposed to some of these different things, you know, because it's so important and we have to recognize the church. This is one of the things I hit on the letter that I think is so important is we used to be the go-to leaders to fill the temporal and spiritual needs of people. And now instead of changing the world, a lot of times we're being changed by the world. We're being pressured by the world to do certain things, to act a certain way. You know, you see churches closing down for the pandemic before bars and restaurants close down because we want to seem like we're, you know, leading the charge and doing everything the world's telling us to do and and all this stuff. You know, and that's a whole other topic in and of its own, but this kind of points to the fact that like we are very much influenced by the world instead of, and, and like the, 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 the spectrum on that, I think the balance of that has definitely shifted to where we're being more influenced by the world than we're influencing the world, you know, and to me, that's, that's tragic. And we need to go, like, we are fighting to take that back. We are fighting as, as Christians, as Catholics today, we are fighting to push that so that we can be on the the winning side of that and be changing the world more than we're being changed by the world. And that takes us understanding that leaders aren't just needed, you know, in times when things are easy or when it's nice or, you know, when somebody comes to you, 
to, to ask you, you know, how can I grow in my faith? Like we're called to go out, to be sent out means to be the one that opens the conversations, to be the ones that reaches out to people who are in need, who are suffering, who have never heard the gospel before, who have never been exposed to some of these things. When we've been formed, we're called to go and be sent out. That is always our mission. It is never changing. It doesn't matter if it's a pandemic. It doesn't matter if there's, you know, a racial tension in the country. It doesn't matter if World War III starts. We are still called to make disciples of all nations. And that is the heart of everything that we do, of everything that we are. And we can never lose sight of that because when we do, not only are we in great danger of losing, you know, our salvation, our, you know, connection with God, but we're, like the world becomes hopeless when we lose sight of our mission. And we can't wait for someone else to do it. I think there is there's also amongst the laity, um, I think evangelicals are better about just getting to it. And I think we sometimes, oh, well, only the pastor, pastor needs to do this. The diocese needs to do this. Or Father Mike Schmidt should do, go do this and save the world. It's like, like yeah, he's got the, the chiseled chin and the, the looks for Superman. But like, it's, it's on us. Like, you have to do it. You can't to sit back and be like, oh, the diocese or the government should do this. It's like, no, like you're, you make up the diocese. Like you make up the, the, the population of the country. You can yeah. be the change. Like, I think that's something that we need to tell ourselves over and over again. It's like, if I want to see a change, I got to go do it. Yep. Yeah. Not only can you, but you must, you yep. know, and that's, that's the, that's the heart of it. I think it's just like coming back to this, uh, mental toughness and discipline to say like, we are the army of the Lord, you know, like we are soldiers of Christ and soldiers are meant to be disciplined and they're meant to do stuff when it's hard to do it. Not just when it's easy, not just when we feel like it, not just when it's nice to do, but we're called to be disciplined and just go and execute and just get after it and just do what we're called to do. And uh, it comes back always to that daily discipline and that internal reflection to say, you know, where am I? Cause, cause sin is sin. My personal sin contributes to the injustice in the world. It contributes to the evil in the world. So how can I root that best out of my life? You know, am I focusing on my, first and foremost, going back to St. Teresa of Calcutta, am I focused on my prayer life first and foremost before I go out and try to change the world? Um, and then if I am focusing on my prayer life, am I willing to, after I, you know, do that last sign of the cross to go out and be sent out to change the world? I can't end it any better than that. <laughs> Nathan, I'll ask that you, uh, close us up in prayer here. But again, it's been a blessing for us to grow in friendship during this, again, sure. weird 2020 year. Um, yeah. And your, your writing is at those who seek.org on your blog and you're going to be writing more, which is awesome. And I think I have no doubt God's going to do more collaboration between us together. But um, the prayers that anyone listening uh, is just maybe get some clarification, maybe get some new thoughts and insights. Maybe you're challenged. Um, and ultimately to challenge to go out and, and change the world here. Amen.